0: Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Kiara Wegener. Robert Kennedy Jr. is an environmental lawyer and chairman of the group Waterkeeper Alliance. Kennedy paid a visit to Fordham as part of the American Age Lecture Series, co-sponsored by the College Democrats Club. Kennedy was diagnosed with the vocal disorder spasmic dysphonia. He spent almost two hours arguing that Americans should set a global example by becoming energy entrepreneurs. He added that they should build a marketplace for electric energy. Kennedy began his speech by acknowledging that sound environmental policy is synonymous with good economic policy.
1: We recognize that nature is the infrastructure of our communities. It's, uh, if, if we want to meet our obligation as a generation, as a nation, as a civilization, which is to create communities for our children that provide them with the same opportunities for dignity, and enrichment, and prosperity, and good health as the communities that our parents gave us, we've got to start by protecting our environmental infrastructure, the air we breathe, the water we drink, the wildlife, the fisheries, the public lands, the shared resource of our society. Those assets that cannot be reduced to private property ownership, but by their nature are the possession of the entire community, the the rivers, the streams, the the, the public lands, the landscapes that connect us to our past, to our history, that provide context to our communities, and that are the source ultimately of our values and our virtues and our, our, our character as a people. Now, if you listen to the big polluters and to their indentured servants on Capitol Hill and to their big, slick PR firms like Hill and Knowlton and, and Burst and Marstella and to these all these phony think tanks they've created on Capitol Hill to justify, they pretend to be free market think tanks, but they're really, uh, their real function is to provide the um, the underpinnings of a the, of the philosophy of corporate profit-taking at any cost. And if you listen to the people, like the Heritage Foundation, the American Enterprise Institute, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and there's about now... There's several hundred of them. They're funded by big polluters, mainly Koch brothers, Exxon, Chevron, and many of the other big polluters. And if you listen to them, what they'll say, that kind of one of their mantras is, we have to choose between economic prosperity on the one hand and and environmental protection on the other. And that is a false choice. In 100% of the situations, good environmental policy is identical to good economic policy if we want to measure our economy, and this is how we ought to be measuring it, based upon how it produces jobs and the dignity of jobs over the generations, over the long term, and how it preserves the value of the assets of our community. If on the other hand, we want to do what the polluters would like us to do, which is to treat the planet as if it were a business in liquidation convert our natural resources to cash as quickly as possible, have a few years of pollution-based prosperity, we can do that. And we can, we can generate an instantaneous cash flow and the illusion of a prosperous economy. And we can make a few people rich by making everybody else poor. But our children are going to pay for our joyride.
0: While speaking at Fordham University, Robert Kennedy Jr. continued to say that Americans are addicted to carbon. He said they're afraid to shift to electric energy, fearing it'll hurt the carbon industry and cripple the U.S. economy. But Kennedy says that's not true.
1: Well, today, we don't need to abolish carbon to understand that our deadly addiction to it is the principal drag on American capitalism. We're borrowing $1 billion a day in our country, mainly from nations that don't share our values in order to import a billion dollars of oil, again, largely for nations that don't share our values, some that are outright hostile to us. We are, we are, through our addiction to carbon, we are funding both sides of the war against terror. This hemorrhage of $750 billion, three quarters of a trillion dollars annually of American wealth has beggared a nation that, when I was a little boy, owned half the wealth on the face of the planet. We give Each year, $1.3 trillion in subsidies to the oil industry. This week in the newspapers was a lot of discussion about President uh, Obama's plan to get rid of the direct federal subsidies to to the incumbents, to the carbon cronies, to oil, coal, and gas. Those amount to between $35 and $55 billion a year, just federal cash that we're giving to them through the oil depletion allowance and through waiver of royalties and tax breaks and all these other things. But in addition to those direct federal payments, the cost of oil, that, that oil and our addiction to oil imposes on the American people is a form of subsidy to that industry. The $100 billion that we spend annually protecting the pipelines in the Gulf That's money we could save if we weren't addicted to oil as part of the price of oil, the crop damage, the the health damage, all of these other costs that accumulate. And if you have doubts about that figure, 1.3 trillion, I'll, I'll repeat it. Look at Terry Taminin's new book, Lives Per Gallon. Terry Taminin just stepped down as head of California EPA. And he's meticulously and scrupulously inventory this vast the tsunami of subsidies that we give to the oil industry every year. We give about a half a trillion to the nuke industry every year. We give about a trillion to the coal industry. Nobody has about nobody's actually done the math.
0: Kennedy spoke about the dangers of the coal industry and how coal is threatening both our physical health and the conditions of our natural resources.
1: The National Academy of Sciences issued a report and the National Research Council, which are the two research arms of the federal government, and it's a 10-year a, a study that shows that every freshwater fish in America now has dangerous levels of mercury in its flesh. There is no safe level. The mercury is coming from coal-burning power plants. And we, today, are living in a science fiction nightmare in this ch- country. where my children, the children of most Americans can no longer engage in the seminal primal activity of American youth, which is to go fishing with their father and mother in the local fishing hole, and then come home and eat the fish. I pay. 30 bucks for a fishing license every year in New York state. And the Constitution of the state of New York says that the people of the state own the fish of the state. They're not owned by the General Electric Company, and they're not owned by Massey Coal, or by the Southern Company, or by one of these utilities that are burning the coal. They belong to you and me and to our children. Every kid in the Bronx has a right to go down to the Hudson, put a a hook in the water, and bring out a fish, and come home, and, and a striper or a shad and come home and, and feed it to their family. But that right has been stolen from our people. Somebody has. This is, this is a public trust asset. That protection goes back to the code of Justinian, 2,000 years old. It's in the Magna Carta that the public trust, the commons belong to the people. Everybody can use them. Nobody can use them in a way that will diminish or injure their use and enjoyment by others. So when somebody poisons a fish or poisons the air, they're stealing something from you. And they're creating a subsidy for themselves. So today, every freshwater fish, which is a public trust asset, it's like stealing from the public treasury, has been liquidated so that you can't use it anymore. It's now been turned into profit and a subsidy by the coal industry. I got my um, mercury levels tested recently, and my levels are 10 times what EPA considers safe. I I fish a lot, and I eat a lot of the fish. So I was told by Dr. David Carpenter at SUNY Albany, who is the leading authority on mercury toxicity in this country, that a woman with my levels of mercury in her blood would have children with cognitive impairment. And I said, with brain damage. I said to him, you mean she might have? And he said, no, the science is very, very certain today her children would have some level of permanent neurological injury.
0: I'm Kiara Wegener, and this is Fordham Conversations. You're listening to Robert Kennedy, Jr., who recently spoke at Fordham University about sound environmental policy. He went on to stress the importance of developing a true free energy grid. But he acknowledged some of the barriers that are preventing the U.S. from transitioning to a free energy marketplace.
1: The barrier to us transitioning to this local you know, wholesome energy economy is are, are three things. We have an administration that wants to do it. They, they, they face three problems. One, the subsidies to the incumbents. And um, those subsidies, again, the cap and trade system was supposed to remedy those subsidies. Um, President Obama is banning direct subsidies and getting the, you know, the G12 nations to do the same. Um, but, Even with the subsidies, solar and wind has gotten so cheap. In the last three years, solar has dropped from 78 cents. Solar panels have dropped from 78 cents a kilowatt to 38 cents, and they're still plummeting. So solar and wind are now so cheap that they are essentially at grid parity. They can produce energy, financing costs, installation costs, everything else, at 11 cents a kilowatt hour. And these these new geothermal systems can do the same thing. So even with the subsidies, we're at parity with them. Um, number two is we don't, and this is probably the most important problem, we don't have an electric grid in this country that can carry these new currents of energy. The electric grid that we have was completed in 1930. It's antiquated. It was, it's overpowered now. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's overused, but it's underpowered. Um, and it is incapable to, of doing long-haul transmission of energy, and it's stupid. It's not a smart grid. It's a stupid grid. The, um, the North Dakota farmer, you know, I- if you go to North Dakota, I'm on the board of the biggest green tech venture capital firm in our country, and it's, it's extremely pop- profitable, incidentally. Um, the pension funds that invest in us, CalPERS is the biggest pension fund in the com- country, and this is our third fund that they invest in us. We're in their top 10 funds of all industries. So you know, green tech is a very profitable uh, investment if it's done well. But my group wants to go into North Dakota and put wind turbines on every every farm in the state. The farmers in North Dakota, every farmer wants this. Why? Because their cornfield is worth $800 if there's corn on it. If there's corn and a wind turbine on it, it's worth $3,000. It creates Local jobs, it creates huge prosperity and cash for the farmers, it regenerates the local economies, rural economies which are declining, it allows farmers, family farmers to hold on to their farms, which is a really important thing for American democracy, so everybody wants it. You have not just us, but huge players like Siemens and Vestas and and, uh, General Electric and Warren Buffett and T. Boone Pickens with mountains of cash you know, surrounding the state of North Dakota. Everybody wants to go in there and build wind turbines. The problem is the North Dakota wind farmer cannot get his electrons to markets in Cleveland and Cincinnati and Columbus and St. Louis and New York and New Orleans because they will diffuse in the lines before they cross the North Dakota border. After 300 miles, the electrons are gone. So you, you know, we need to build in this country. We need the same kind of program that President Eisenhower had during the 50s and 1960s, which you know, when he built the National Highway System where we build a national grid of energy that reaches every American home and allows us all to participate in the electric grid in this country, in a new marketplace in this country, and then we need a marketplace. Right now, and this is the third problem, the electric grid in this country is controlled and regulated by 50 public utilities commissions one in each state, and 120 control districts. They each have their own set set of arcane and, and, and vulcanized rules that restrict access to the grid. And the rules are irrational. They do, you know, the free market capitalism is a great thing. It's the greatest economic engine ever created. But it has to be harnessed to a social purpose. It's a tool. It's like a hammer. You wouldn't worship a hammer. You use it to build something that's good for your children and the free market system is a great thing but it has to be regulated by rules that are aligned with the public interest that serve the public interest that you know if you just let it go you create a feudal plutocracy of the kind that our ancestors escaped Europe to come here that's what you know unrestrained free market capitalism it's not a free market anymore because it's a monopoly capitalism which is not free so you need to harness the right rules and right now The rules that regulate energy in most of our states are irrational rules that encourage the worst kind, the most destructive kind of behavior. So, for example, if you are a utility owner in North Carolina or New York State, you, um, you're the way that you make money is by selling energy. So, the more coal you burn, the more energy you use, the more money you make. So, if you are Ahead head of Duke Energy was a really good guy. He has the second biggest coal-powered power plant fleet in this country, but he wants to cl- shut them down. And he wants to do the right thing. But no matter how green he is in his heart, no matter how much he loves humanity, no matter how much he loves our country, his shareholders want him to get his customers to leave their lights on all night and to leave their refrigerator doors open. Because that's how they make money. So... What we need to do is to rewrite the rules in this country so utility CEOs and utilities can make money by doing good things.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Kiara Wegener. Robert Kennedy Jr. said Americans should decrease their dependence on Saudi Arabian oil and become energy entrepreneurs. He noted that the U.S. should look to the Internet or telecommunications industries to see how true free market capitalism really works.
1: We need a marketplace, a national unified marketplace that does what a market is supposed to do, which is to reward good behavior, which is efficiency, and to punish bad behavior, which is inefficiency and waste.
0: Right now we have
1: a marketplace that is rigged by rules that were written by the polluters and that are designed to reward the dirtiest, filthiest, most poisonous, most destructive, most addictive fuels from hell rather than the cheap, clean, green, wholesome, abundant, and safe and local fuels from heaven. And we need to change that dynamic around. We need an energy marketplace that turns every American into an energy entrepreneur and every home into a power plant and lets us power this country based upon American initiative and resourcefulness and intelligence and and human energy and human resources rather than Saudi Arabian oil, what, what, what Franklin Roosevelt called American industrial genius. Now, And, and if we do that, you're going to watch the price of energy in this country plummet. We've done this before. In 1979, we built an ARPANET grid in this country. The Internet. And the federal government paid for it and hooked every American home to the Internet. The year after that, 1980, the head of IBM said that personal computers, PCs, are a dead-end technology. There was a lot of other computer companies that, you know, my generation heard of back then, like, um, like Wang and MCR and Honeywell, that are no longer in the computer business because they made the same bet. But now most of us have PCs. And guess what happened? Because we built the marketplace. And guess what happened to the cost of, um, of, of information, of bits and bytes? It plummeted to virtually zero.
0: Robert Kennedy Jr. went on to tell students at Fordham that reducing America's dependence on foreign oil means the U.S. must invest in electric cars.
1: But the truth is, automobiles are going electric. And, and we own two of the leading electric car companies. One is called Tesla. We make Teslas, which are, um, which uh, go, which the most, uh, Car and Driver magazine said it was the most beautiful car on the road. It's a sports car, it's the fastest car in America. It goes from zero to 60 in 3.7 seconds, to make your face go like that. <laughs> and, um, and they get 250 miles on a charge. And you know, a few years ago, people would say, that's 20 or 30 years off. I, during the uh, TARP negotiations when, when Obama was trying to save the automakers, I went out and spent a lot of time meeting with the automakers, and they were all saying, I said, I was saying to them, making the point with my team, you know, you should be looking at leapfrogging, forgetting about hybrids, and going right to electric cars, because that's where the world's going. And, you know, the Japanese have got us beat on, on the hybrid technology, because they bought our technology and it perfected it. And instead of following them, let's get ahead of them and go electric. And they kind of laughed at that at that time. But now, go to Detroit, and everybody knows this is where it's going. And at the Detroit Auto Show two months ago, every single automobile maker had an electric car. When we started Tesla, we were it. Today, there's over 100 electric car makers in this country, and everybody's going direction, that direction. We have one car company called Better Place. And Better Place is right now rewiring Israel. They are going to transfer every automobile in Israel within three years to an electric car. They are right now installing, we have teams in Israel that are installing electric plugs next to every parking place. In every garage or most of the garages, we're building a structure that's called a swap station. It looks like a car wash. You drive your car in, hoist, computers lift you up, lift you up on hoist, slide out an exhausted battery and slide in a new one and you drive away in 30 seconds which is less time than it takes to fill up an automobile with gas. And you've got 120 miles on the charge. The trick is that the individual who owns the car doesn't own the battery. The batteries are owned by the Israeli Electric Utility, which is our joint venture partner. And that's the big barrier with electric cars. The batteries are really expensive. The battery costs $20,000. So people don't want to go to electric cars because they're getting a $20,000 car with a $20,000 battery. So they spend $40,000 in the car. And as they drive the car, they pay it off, and it ends up cheaper, but they don't want that 40,000 price tag in the beginning, and that is the big barrier. So uh, this guy, Shai Agassi, figured out how to eliminate that barrier. That barrier, the the owner of the car never has to pay for the battery. Um, The cars, the batteries, incidentally, are being used by the electric utility as reservoirs while they're in the swap station and in your car, plugged in at night or plugged in at work during the daytime. They use them to store variable power coming from wind, from giant wind farms and giant solar thermal plants that they have now built or are now building in the Negev Desert. So the big problem with variable power with wind and solar is that you know the wind doesn't blow when you need it, and of course solar, the sun doesn't shine at night, so you need to store it, but now they've got a way to store it in these car batteries. And, um, and so the utility owns the car batteries, and they're using them for that reason, Cars are being manufactured by Renault and Nissan. The cars are, there's eight models from sports car to minivan. Um, they last forever because, you know, a, one of the problems with internal combustion engine is that the automobile has 270 moving parts, and they're all prone to breakdown, and that's part of the cost of owning the car over the life of the car. But if you own an electric car, there's like five moving parts, you know, the wheels, the axles, the doors, and the windshield wipers, and that's it. You know, and so there's nothing really to break down, so that car will last forever. And the, the cars cost us about $12,000 each to manufacture, but we are giving them away for free to every driver in Israel. The same way that your, uh, your cell phone provider gives you a cell phone for free, and we make up our money by uh, charging the, the car owner a premium on their electric bill over the next three years, five years, or seven years, depending on what contract they sign with us. So, And the reason we're able to do that is because of the huge delta between driving an electric car and driving an internal combustion engine. Internal combustion engines are just invar- in- inherently expensive and inefficient. I- if you drive an internal combustion engine, you're bringing a 500-pound power plant everywhere you go. So you go buy a 10 pound bag of groceries, you got to carry a 500 pound power plant with you. And it means the entire car has to be reinforced and much heavier and much more inefficient because it's got to carry that power plant. So if you eliminate that power plant, it's much more efficient. An internal combustion engine costs in Israel 60 cents a mile to drive over the life of the car. In our country, about $0.45 because we subsidize gasoline, which they don't do in Europe or Israel. So still, $0.45 or $0.60 a mile. An electric car costs $0.06 a mile to drive. One-tenth the price for an electric car. And it's faster, more efficient, never breaks down. Plus, you're getting it for free. So um, Israel, we complete build out of this system in three years then the government of Israel, which is our other joint venture partner, is slapping a 78% tax on all new internal combustion engines and raising it every year until they're taxed out of existence, which won't take long because nobody's going to buy an internal combustion engine when they, they can get a car from us, a better car from us for free. So um, the reason Israel's doing it is because Israel gets its, its oil now from Egypt, and Egypt you know, gets it from, from crazy town. And... Uh, and And so, you know, they want to get off it because it's national security. But guess what? It's a national security issue for us as well. Now, we have contracts with Denmark that when we get done with Israel, we're going to do the same thing in Denmark. We have contracts with Australia. We just signed a contract with the U.K. We have contracts with the state of Hawaii, the city of Toronto. We have 30 other countries in contract negotiation. So we're at a tipping point now, and you are going to watch it cascade, and you're going to watch it cascade over the next five years. As big shifts in our economy, $3 trillion that we're now giving to the incumbents, to oil, coal, to the bad guys, and new, are now going to go to new energy economy. And as you guys look at careers, this is where you should be looking because this is where the jobs are.
0: FDR's New Deal was the next topic of discussion. Robert Kennedy, Jr. said a similar program could be used today to bring green jobs to the U.S. and install a clean energy infrastructure.
1: We have the capacity to build infrastructure that is gonna bring wealth to our country for generations, to employ tens of thousands of men and women building pylons and stringing wires down the railroad tracks and existing right away, um, putting up wind turbines on every farm in the Midwest that wants them, to, um, to, build, to, to, uh, to uh, affix uh, solar panels, PVC panels to every southern facing and western facing roof in America, to go in and pressure test every home in our country that wants it and then blow in cellulosic insulation and repair the windows, pull out the hot water boilers, install efficient ones and make money for the homeowner and for themselves doing it. And at the end of that process, we've built an infrastructure that gives our country free energy forever and makes us the most competitive nation in the world. And this is a vision for, that we ought to be fighting for and that all, every American ought to understand the potential. The Chinese already understand this. I just came back from China. China, you know what? We were going to, in Waxman-Markey, this the ambition of Waxman-Markey was to increase uh, solar deployment by 38% by 2020 in our country. The Chinese have already committed to increase their solar deployment by 20,000%. By 2020, Obama, you know, announced a new energy bill. We're going to spend eight billion dollars on new energy, subsidizing new energy to get a jump-started. The Chinese are spending 758 billion in five years, and you know, they really spend it. They don't, you know, argue about it. They they lose face and lose their jobs if they don't get it done. They're increasing, increasing wind deployment by 1,200 percent. They're taking these industries that we own away from us. They, they consider this the arms race of the 21st century. And we have these troglites on Capitol Hill who are owned, you know, bought, and sold by big oil, oil and big coal who are sitting up there on their hands and watching our national security, our energy independence, our jobs and prosperity, and our, our capacity to be a, a world leader and to restore our moral authority just fritter away so that the oil and coal continue to addict us these you know, deadly substances that are coming, killing people in Appalachia, and, and you know, making us dependent on unreliable allies in the Mideast, and we need to change that.
0: Robert Kennedy Jr. concluded his speech at Fordham by answering questions and encouraging students to pursue careers that involve political activism.
1: It's much more important to change your politician than your light bulb. And that doesn't mean just voting, it means working in campaigns or running yourself. And and you don't have to run for president or Congress, run for your school board, run for the local planning board. You know, a lot of these there's no age restrictions on and they're, if you look at the local planning board, they're all controlled by developers. And you know, the right wing and these ideologues have gotten control of all these local offices and you know, they're, 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 run for the state assembly. You go and look at the people who are up there and it's, you know, it's scary. Um, you know, and, uh, and you can do it and, uh, or you can run for the county legislature, you know, and, and start participating in the political process. That's the most important thing. The other thing is to start building a media in our country. Now, right now, we have a media that's controlled by the right wing. Ninety-five uh, percent of talk radio is, is now right wing and 30 uh, percent of Americans say that that's their primary news source. Um, uh, uh, it's cable news, 22% of the Americans say it's their primary news source and it's absolutely dominated by Fox News. So, and then the rest of the media, the mainstream media, the corporate owned ABC, NBC, CBS, and CNN have no ideology except for their own pocketbooks, which you know, are dictated by their advertisers, which are the big pharmaceutical companies, the oil companies, the coal companies, and by the government that's in power. So they're not, you know, giving you, giving us independent news, and I can tell you, you know, story after story of, of advertisements we've tried to run, and you know, they shoot us down. They won't let us, you know, talk about things that are genuinely controversial outside of the narrow boundaries about of what's acceptable. Um, and uh, and you know, we have we have now with the internet developing. There's all kinds of opportunities to develop ways of communication that get the truth to the American people, and your generation is really going to be kind of in charge of that. And one of the ways to do that is to, um, you know, is to, is to try to devise and develop ways of, of, um, of alternative medias where we can get the truth to the American people.
0: This has been Fordham Conversations. Stay with us, George Bodarky and Cityscape are next on 90.7 WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Kiara Wagner.
1: We and put them in a tree. and we charged the